Olympic City, Colorado Springs, Colorado. This is the USA Volleyball Show. And here are your hosts, Clarence Hughes and Stephen Munson. Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhythm. Get on up. It's USA Volleyball Show time. <laughs> I was so bad. Um, <laughs> I what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 59 of the USA Volleyball Show. We are the official podcast of USA Volleyball. Man, I couldn't do that with a with a straight face. Sorry, that was great. That's the that's the kind of energy we need after a, after a long holiday weekend. I know uh, <clears throat> that that kind of got me thinking though about Winter Olympics and winter sports. Mm-hmm. If you if you were to compete in a, a Winter Olympic sport, what would you want to do? I'm torn right now um, because one sport is something I've never done before. And I know I live in Colorado, but the other one is something I have done before and worked in sports. So it's between hockey and it's also between snowboarding. Like I just feel like I have to. I'll even throw Bob Sutton and being there uh, to be in there as a top three because I've always wanted to try that, too. But um, I think hockey would be that number one, you know. I should have known hockey, hockey would do that, would be that for you. Yeah. (laughs) Snowboarding. I I think I would probably lean towards, although. You want to be in X um, Games mode? I see. I see you in X Games mode. X Games mode. No, I, uh, I'm always fascinated in, uh, with the, um, luge and skeleton. It looks terrifying. It looks terrifying. (laughs) But uh, because it's like extreme bobsled almost like you're not in a, yes. you're not in a car. I would. A oh, close space. Yeah. Whew. I'm like shaking, especially like skeleton. I think skeleton is the one you're head first. In, mm-hmm. Right. I think. Yeah. You know what? Um, I'm, I'm very disappointed in, in the two of us. Uh, we didn't say curling at all. I would. Ooh, oh, I, Kyle would be so. I, Kyle, I know Kyle would be so disappointed <laughs> in us for, for not. saying. I still curling. need to do a, a learn to curling day. Man, I, I just feel I really like I want to. <clears throat> Have you seen that uh, that video that's like kind of turned into a meme that uh, that pro bowler? He gets like a strike. I don't know if it's like a perfect oh, yes. game. And he goes yeah, like, I know who do you think you are? I, yeah. I, I feel like that, that'd be me if I start curling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we could uh, start a curling team, podcast curling team here. Oh, we have, we have Local shows. league. Just got to throw some. Do you, do you need question? This is like a genuine question. Do you need like jersey numbers on the back of your... Ooh, that's your, a great question. Shirts for curling is that the same? Any listeners sense? who are familiar with curling, please email us at the USAB show at usavolleyball.org and uh, let us know. But I don't think so. I'm going to say no. Uh, but we could we're start ne- it. We we're never going to get to our episode. So I, have all the, <laughs> I have all these questions about win, uh, winter sports now. Gosh. Oh, mine that. is totally. I love that. That's the energy we needed to start this episode. So let's keep going here. Let's keep rolling. Uh, in case you missed it, we had Badger Region Volleyball Association Commissioner Jen Armson Dyer uh, on last episode. If you haven't listened to it, go check that out. Jen talked about her background in volleyball, chats about job options and sports outside of being a coach or a player. Uh, what Jen does as the regional commissioner, her role as the regional commissioner, and so much more. Be sure to check out that episode right now on all podcast platforms. And you can now watch that episode on our YouTube channel and the USAB website at usavolleyball.org. Now let's keep rolling here with the episode. Here's news with Hughes. Subscribe 
to the USA Volleyball YouTube channel. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Columbus, Ohio was announced as the fourth market for the Pro Volleyball Federation. Uh, Columbus joins Omaha, Atlanta. At, ooh, Atlanta. Wow. I just Atlantis? combined. I just, I just combined Atlanta and United Airlines. I don't know why I'm thinking about Atlantis United. Atlantis is back. I think it's because I'm flying United for sunshine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Columbus joins Omaha, Atlanta, and Grand Rapids in the inaugural season that is set for 2024. More information can be found at provolleyball.com. The USA Volleyball Men's Beach Collegiate Challenge re will return to Stevenson University in Owings Mills, Maryland on September 15th through the 17th, 2023. This is the third years of the event and will have 32 teams in the main draw. Is that the most teams that this uh, Collegiate Challenge has had? I think I think this is I quite don't a know, teams, but that's right? a that's a great turnout for that for that event. For it sure. is a great, really, 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 really good turnout for the for the thirty here. But uh, yeah, every athlete will have the opportunity to be scouted through the Beach National Team Development Program. Interested in men's college volleyball? Well, you can check out the website for weekly roundups to stay up to date on results, rankings, key matchups, and much more at usavolleyball.org. And once again, more information on these and all other news items can be found at usavolleyball.org. Now on to today's show. This month, it's Region Commissioners Month. This is the finale of Regional Commissioners Month here in February. Back in December, we sat down with a few USA Volleyball Regional Commissioners at the 2022 ABCA convention. We chat with them about their region successes as well as any struggles that they might be facing. We talked with them about growing the game in their specific regions and so much more. Finishing off our dive into the USAB region side, let's keep it going with Gateway Region Commissioner Steve Meath. Here's Steve. Steve, Commissioner of the Gateway Region, USA Volleyball Gateway Region. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us here it's at my, ABCA. Well, my pleasure. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, it's our first time at ABCA, uh, so mm -hmm. it's really cool to see the energy, the the mingling, the networking with between coaches, commissioners like yourself. Um, very, I don't know, we talk about the volleyball community a lot and just being a small community. Um, everybody kind of knows each other and everyone has that in common, so it's cool to see that energy here. Yes. And that's one of the best things about volleyball is that rapport that everybody has yeah. amongst themselves. You know, people sharing ideas. You know, it's not, you know, competitive when you're on the court, but everybody's willing to help each other off the court and, you know, to prepare and come up with best practices and things like that. So it's a great opportunity for all those types of things. Yeah. Um, we, something we like to always ask all of our guests is just what was your journey um, through volleyball? What's your volleyball journey okay. <laughs> to where you are now, I guess? <laughs> yeah, mine's probably a little bit different than a lot of people's yeah. because, you know, 40 years ago, there wasn't men's volleyball, you know, so... Um, I actually grew up in the Midwest, which, you know, you had your traditional football, basketball, baseball is what you play. Right. Yeah. You know, so as I was going through high school, I was one of those people who was not gifted athletically, but I worked hard and I so got to a point where the high school coaches were like, we're not going to cut you because we want you to be part of the team. But you're probably not going to play because these younger guys are better than you. And so I had a cousin who played Division One volleyball at the time, or just finished playing 
volleyball. And so she was like, you need to just start playing some adult volleyball. You need to do this. And then she started me on my volleyball journey at that point. Oh, cool. So it was more playing like an adult rec leagues that went into power leagues. And then she actually drove me to St. Louis to start playing a little bit of club volleyball. And then in college, I played on the club team at St. Louis University. And then I went to the University of Illinois from graduate school and played on the club team there for one year. I was able to with that schedule and then moved home, got a job. And my niece, who was 13 at the time, they yeah, at that time, we were still just every even year with the age levels. There wasn't every age level. So you played 14, 16, 18s, and she was a 13. So she called me and was like, we don't have a coach for the 13 U team. Can you, would you coach? I'm like, I just got a new job. So I started coaching right then. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be a one year thing. Now, you know, 30 years later, still doing this. Yeah. And then it went from coaching to joined our region board and then just got more and more involved with that over the years. And then about five years ago, um, the only commissioner at the region had at the time decided 25 years was enough for him of doing it. So he stepped down and then I was able to take over at that time. Okay. You said uh, you thought coaching might only be like a one year thing. What was that hook that just like kept you in it? It was just enjoyable. I really were enjoyed working with kids that young. And I pretty much stayed at that age level for a long time. I coached 13s and 14s the majority of the time that I was coaching. I really just, there seemed to be that, there was the time where they kind of got that mental development where you could take them from just learning the basics to start to do a little bit more advanced stuff. And they were all still eager, really eager to learn. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of development at that time. You can go to other ages where you don't see that progression and you don't see that development. So it was very rewarding. And I just really enjoyed that age group. I've worked pretty much from everything from 12s through 18s at some point for one reason or another. But I gravitate to that 13 to 15 age range the most when I do coach. Okay, cool, cool. For those uh, listening and going to be tuning in who, you know, aren't familiar, uh, you know, with the Gateway region, what are some, you know, basic, some fundamentals, some uh, just some some ways of the Gateway region that you, you know, that you're you're you know proud of and actually part of and you know just just want to give us a rundown of, of that yeah so i think part of it is our inclusivity that we have like we're doing everything possible to have we want everybody playing volleyball under one umbrella um and we work hard at that we and it's not for benefit of any one particular person. It's not for benefit of the region. We just think that's what's best for volleyball is if everybody in that local area competes against each other, helps each other, you're going to, we're going to continue to be able to grow the game of volleyball that way. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, an overall philosophy, that would be what I'm proud of is that we seem, we have that inclusivity. We have only one major city being St. Louis in our region. So our large concentration of our members are in the St. Louis metropolitan area. So we are doing whatever we can to help 
rural communities, you know, so we have, you know, and I, I, we think it's big, but it's not when you look at other regions that encompass three states. But it, it's often hard just from a budget standpoint and anything to get somebody who's five hours away that don't have a whole lot of tournaments to play yeah. in to come to where the tournaments are all the time. So as a region, we've taken on like running tournaments in rural communities so that they can um, have places where they don't have to travel so far. If we're, you know, so we will seek out, they, we have, they do a great job of helping us because a lot of them just don't know the whole capacity of running the tournament. They're like, we can get you a gym. And sometimes it's only a one court gym and we might only have like a five or 16 tournament. But they don't have to travel. Yeah. And yeah. they can, you know, they don't have to get up at five in the morning to go to play ball somewhere or four in the morning to go play ball somewhere um, that they can go in their home. So we're really starting to try to get to do that. We've really gone, done a good job because we work with Southeast Missouri State. Mm-hmm. Um, they get us some facilities. So we're able to go way south in Missouri that way. And so we're starting to reach out. COVID put a damper on that. You know, like you said, I started five years ago. So I was in the position for about one year and then COVID hit. <laughs> and so a lot of our ideas are first starting to be able to come to fruition now yeah. because a lot cool. of the universities still, when you needed to schedule for last season, we're still under restrictions of no outside groups coming into our rec centers, no outside groups coming in and using our courts. So yeah. you couldn't, even last year, even though it really wasn't affected by COVID that much in the volleyball community, we couldn't schedule so those events weren't being able to be planned so now that we're able to do that we're hoping to move into like the springfield illinois area the carbondale illinois area to provide some of those same opportunities so about how many clubs would you say you guys you know serve and have and how many uh how many members uh you know so members that's another thing that we've done a good job of um right now and we just got our recent numbers i think yesterday from us volleyball and we are about 25 percent ahead of where we normally are at this time Mm -hmm. and so we're at about 9,500 members um and about 120 clubs um so we look to keep growing that um we have a great registrar he's great from uh a just a service standpoint um he he does a lot for them and he was he's the main factor keith magley was the main factor as to why we were able to sustain where we were i think we only dropped like about 15 percent during covid in our membership which i think was like about the third or fourth lowest Uh across the country and then right now our growth puts us i think at about the seventh highest growth so you put those together that's actually a lot of growth because a lot of the numbers other people's other regions numbers were sank a lot lower so now their growth numbers may look you know really inflated but ours we didn't have that big dip either and still on top of that but um a lot of that is thanks to him um because he's just there for the club directors he whatever they need he gets done Mm -hmm. and uh He's always, always a friendly face. And so I think that has done a lot to draw people in. He'll have people call him about starting up a new club. And for some reason, they end up with three teams rather than the one team that they called about. <laughs> you know, so he just awesome. has, a, has a way of doing those types of things. So You kind of touched on it a little bit uh, there, but what are some of the ways the Gateway <laughs> region is growing membership? Um, are you kind of starting at that grassroots level? Um, are you working directly with the clubs? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? So we 
we have some p- programs set and put in place, especially on the the boys side that we have, like to we have can monetarily help clubs starting boys programs. We have equipment to help programs so that they don't have a lot of upfront costs. Yeah. So we can provide a club with ball carts and balls and things like that. We have some connections with um, a few outfitters that we can put them in touch with to get cheaper uniforms to start with. And then we have a handbook for new club directors. And so we provide that. And then we're always willing to meet with them and go over that with them at any, you know, just whatever they need at any step of the process of getting started. We will we'll take them through that. Plus, they have a print copy of it that they can use as their guide to going and doing that. Mm. Um, but I think just being there for them is the biggest thing that we can do. And then word of mouth, you know, like, hey, you want to start a club? It's not that hard. You know, like everybody thinks it's difficult. But when one person says we only have two teams and we did it and it was no problem go ahead and do it in your community. And so that's one thing we're starting to reach out to a lot of the high school coaches in the rural communities as well. Um, trying to make sure that we, um, that they're aware that they can start up programs as well and being aware of the state rules and everything there and trying to help them just again, so that their kids can place with their high school teams can be more competitive. So that's the thing is that's our catch with them is like, if your kids start to play more, then your high school team will benefit from that yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. What do you think are some of the driving factors in the U.S. for the growth of volleyball as a whole and maybe even specifically the boys, too? I know we're, we're here at ABCA. Also, the NCAA championships are going on as well. And I know that's a big factor as well. Just kids watching it on TV for the first time, especially with it being on ESPN, uh, a big network that most people have access to. But, you know, just speak to that a little bit. You know, what are the, some of the driving factors in your perspective? Yeah, I, I think the publicity of the sport has grown so much that I think that's a major factor in it is that people are just aware of the sport more and it is getting more attention in the media and that type of thing. Um, I think a lot of that stems from the conferences um, that started up their own networks and stuff to initially get that out there. And now you see the national channels, you know, stepping in and broadcasting more and more games. So I think just them being able to see themselves on TV, you know, see people that are playing the sport that they may want to play. It it creates a sustainability for them. They want to continue to do that. They want to do what they see on TV. So they'll continue to play the game. Um, I I just think it's a lifelong sport. So I think a lot of parents and stuff will realize that, realize that too. And they're like, this is a good sport to get our kids into because it's something that they can do until they're 50. Yeah. You know, it's not, your level will go down. We have the 70 and older it. division at opens too. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 75, 75. <laughs> Sorry about that. 75 and older. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just, you know, a lot of them played, but didn't play like, you know, competitive like it is now. Right. They realize yeah. that they're continuing to play. So it's something that some of the parents can relate with. Even the parents who didn't play volleyball when they were younger, a lot of them, transition to volleyball because Mm -hmm. other sports that they may have played are harder on their bodies and their, or they don't have the opportunity. You can't play, you know, rec football, you know, there's just not pick up or their kids are playing and they want to play with their kids too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The whole family can do those things too. Yeah. I love that. What are some, you know, we talk about driving uh, factors for success and trying to grow the game of volleyball. Um, What are some, you know, maybe ideas you have or, 
uh, things that, you know, we should be doing, you know, as USC Volleyball and, you know, joint um, cohesiveness with all the regions and, you know, your region specifically so we can continue to work together, you know, to these goals. Because at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. And, you know, there are, you know, 40,000 different ways to do it. Uh, you know, how can we continue to, you know, be on the same page with this type of thing and, you know, continue to help each other to help grow the game of volleyball? Um, I, I think just partnering and more types of activities, um, you know, with with what USA Volleyball does and, and, and the national teams and the youth national teams and the collegiate national teams are all great things that go out in front of people. We need to do something. We need to collaborate more on some local type events and the grassroots people to make them feel like they have some mm-hmm. that they're going to get some more out of it. it you know, that's why they come. They come, they see the Olympics. They That's why they come to USA Volleyball. But, you know, we know that the majority of people are not going to become an Olympian. Um, but they have that dream to do that. And so, like, what can we do to foster that and to, you know, keep them engaged with the sport? Um, so more and more activities and, and it's starting to happen. It's already in the works. You know, um, USA Volleyball is collaborating with some regions that don't have the finances to host events. So they're starting a program to with that the regions to help on the front end, like, to help them with the finances and stuff to be able to get some of these events going. Um, I think that's a great start. More events with USA branded things. Um, I think working more too, we can do a lot more with like the club directors, what we can provide them as resources um, would be a big step. Um, you know, making sure that they have all the resources that they need. Um, and, and then just, being there like showing uh, making sure that we're showing them the appreciation for for running it for yeah developing these athletes and maintaining these athletes um you know just making sure that they feel like they're part of it too and that they have a stake in it um makes a big difference so i think just partnering with those things with with aspects of what we can do and in the education program is kind of part of that too. You know, like we're providing that for club directors and for club coaches, the more things we can do for club directors and club coaches, I think is what's going to drive and, and maintain our membership. Um, we just had a, an officials episode with Jen K Vandermeer and Sean Davis, a couple of USA volleyball officials. Um, could you speak to some of the ways the gateway region is, is growing the official pool. Uh, yeah. We talked a lot about the shortage of officials and, and bringing in younger people into officiating. Can you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, actually. So again, we've our, when our region split, we were part used to be the Illinois side used to be um, part of the Great Lakes region, and then the Missouri side used to be Heart of America. And so it's just over twenty five years that they carved out that niche there and became their own region. And so our referee chair was there for about 25 years, did a phenomenal job and and he just recently retired. And then, so now our new um, referee chairs, you know, it's just anytime you have change over, you, you get all those influx of ideas and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. And so I think, um, so things that we're doing and we actually already, we are on 
for this coming season, we're on pace to have about 35 to 40 new refs from compared oh, to last awesome. year. Yeah. So I'm hoping that we're also maintaining. I don't know that right now, but if we maintain all of our refs from last year and then we get this 30 to 40 new refs, that's going to be a huge impact for us. Um, but just idea like we're she's reaching out to high school referees that she knows that are not coaching club and not going through the USA training program for officials. Um, we're involved with the St. Louis Sports Commission on a program that just is, you know, all about respecting referees and parent behavior. Um, so that will be part of it, hoping that we can just make the environment better for our referees. Um, we've had a mentoring program for a long time where our 16s through 18s players can basically get little summer or little jobs through their season and we're able to work with their schedules and that type of thing mm-hmm. where they would go to our 10s 11s and 12s tournaments and they would just really sit at the scores table and help the kids keep scores because a lot of 10 11 and 12 year old teams have one coach and so if they're refing they can't be at the scores table right, and they can't yeah. be watching the line judges helpful. yeah so we've had this mentoring program with our older athletes going in and they would come to the tournaments and, and help now we're going to take that and we're in trying to we have about 15 of them signed up as well to start actually the officials track and so but there again we understand as we, we don't want to put a 16 to 18 year old up on a stand to be berated because then they're done they're never going to do it again so we had to incorporate like what are we going to be able to do to make sure that that doesn't happen for these people that really want to do it um so we've invested in that we're going to have like for every four courts at these types of events we're going to make sure that we have a staff member not necessarily a referee but myself or whoever else we can have there that will be kind of the crowd control for them so that they don't have to do that or be mentoring them through the whole process so if we see a court starting to get out of hand we can walk over there and we can help advise them on how to handling the situation or just step in and make sure that the parent or coach isn't berating them at that point to keep it and then to teach them how to handle those situations rather than them be overwhelmed with it and decide that they, it's not what they wanted to right yeah so i think just being the training process and is which is a huge investment because you're putting these you know you, you it's easy to put up a referee and say like go ref the game and then you don't have to do that so in, in doing this we're investing we have to have other staff and everybody at these events to to do that but i think it's going to be a great program and we're like i said we're just launching that aspect of it so we'll see how it goes but we're hoping that if we get five officials out of it each year that sustain if they go on and you know ref intramurals in their college or whatever to make money um and then a lot of them like once one person really went through and heard like we're like oh you know and if you get certified you make this much money per match and they're like i make how much more money like, <laughs> I, I can't get a job where i make more than 13 or 14 dollars an hour and i'm gonna get paid 30 dollars an hour as soon as i get my first certification i get 30 dollars an hour like yeah and i get to kind of control my schedule they're like, it's a good gig. They're like, yeah. I can work. Well, one of them said, if I work one weekend, I'm going to still make like three times what I'll make the entire month Yeah, at my yeah. other job. And it's going to be like two days rather than three hours here and four hours here yeah. and two hours here. And he said, whenever I do that, it ruins my entire day. Mm-hmm. So this way I have the rest of my month free. So... 
you know, and I think word of mouth there again, as long as we take care of them and we mentor them properly and they stay engaged, I think the word of mouth from the financial standpoint is what's going to be a driving factor for a lot of those 16 to 18 year olds that are going to ref. For sure. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Sean and Sean and Jen talked a lot about that, oh, the yeah. benefits of officiating and, you know, not realizing that they could make an a lot of money doing it, uh, especially when get, when they start getting their certifications. Uh, the travel too; they get to travel to new places, mm-hmm. travel to NCAA's uh, as well, um, making their own schedule. Super cool. So there are a lot of benefits to officiating. I don't think a lot of people know, and I, I love that mentor program that you talked about, uh, and just bringing in some of those high school age kids, club club age kids, to just go in and sit at a desk and observe and and help out and um i think the encouraging a better environment too is going to help keep people in officiating too which i think we've had uh, our usa volleyball officials director officials development director patty rolf on and she talked a lot about that too bringing what you say bringing kindness love and kindness love and kindness back to officiating which i love that so much but uh sounds like you're doing a lot of great things in, in gateway yeah so hopefully Hopefully that'll, you know, pay off in the long run here in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's awesome. Kind of touched on, we've touched on a lot of kind of, you know, buckets of, you know, growth and development from officials to membership to, you know, running tournaments and, you know, maintaining retention and such too. What are, what are, what are some other just good things you've noticed within the volleyball community, uh, you know, as, you know, as the leader that you are right now, just, you know, just maybe you've seen something at a tournament or it's been something consistent you've heard you know, via over the phone conversations or emails or just kind of feedback from, uh, you know, the members of, you know, your volleyball community. Yeah, we actually we have one club director in particular that pops in mind when you say that um, Julie Kinneman runs a club pursuit out of southeast Missouri, and she's doing a phenomenal job with her club. Just that alone she's doing remarkable but what i notice is when i look at our social media and which then is linked to a lot of our clubs in there so when i'm when i have time i'm looking or if i'm not driving but riding in somebody's car if i'm looking that's when i can scroll through and look at those types of things and um you know i look and she comments on everybody's you know she she like the team qualifies for nationals. She congratulates them. We have we have a kid from the great uh, the Gateway region playing this weekend. So their club was posting about you know their we have an athlete playing the NCAA Final Four. She congratulates them, and then she's telling her she's like, "Hey, pursuit, make sure you watch." You know, like so she is the most positive person there is. That and she reaches out to everybody. It doesn't matter what it is big or small um she reaches out and she's always commenting on everybody and then she's now on our board which is a great thing to have somebody like that on your board and then when she's there it's just such a refreshing voice of reason too because it's always it's not about like this would be better for us it's always well let's look at both sides of this and see how it's going to impact everybody you know it's never me it's always how is this going to impact everybody is are, are we better because of this are we you know are somebody going to get slighted because of this like let's think about everybody type thing but just i I, i've not come across and it could be there i'm sure there are people out there that i'm just not aware of it's just that every time i look for her she's there her name is her name pops up on Mm -hmm. every single club social media and i'm like that is incredible because you don't see that you don't see 
the club director of another club posting on another club's social media, congratulating them on that. Yeah, that's Just, awesome. You know, they may work together, but they don't do, they don't go to that level. That they don't do that type of thing. Recognition. Yeah. So she would be one, um, you know, and then uh, Wayne Scott would be somebody else that pops in mind. He has a smaller club finesse. He started um, more as a beach club and then he, that's his focus. But then he has indoor training for his teams too. And he partners. We had another club that, um, and then he works with it like inside another club too, but not, he does like a lot of their sand training, I should say, cause that club doesn't have sand. So they kind of partnered or whatever, but the family had a fire recently. And then, um, so it went out on that clubs, you know, to their parents and coaches and stuff saying like, Hey, we have a family in need. You know, like, uh, here, what can we all do? What can what what is what we can what can we do to help them? And then all of a sudden, Wayne Venmo's like from his family's over like two thousand dollars. Wow! So, a lot of good people, a lot of good people out there. If a a parent or you know a young athlete in your region wants to find a club, uh, start playing volleyball, um, what are their first steps that they should do? The first thing they can do is they can go to our website because um, we have a page of like how to start playing. And so it walks you through there. We have a page and on that page, there's a link in it. We have like clubs looking for players and players looking for clubs. So a lot of people can find it right there because if you know, it's you got the all the contact information that you need for a team. And there again, they can always and then all of our phone numbers are on there as well. They can just reach out. And sometimes that's the easiest because, again, Keith and working with all the club directors with their registration and stuff knows like if somebody's looking like, hey, we got a we got one roster that we're still looking to fill. Like he's aware of that yeah, type of thing. Yeah. And so oftentimes he knows who's looking for what and we can help them out. But um you know, or how to become a, a gateway region member and how to become a, a player is right on our website under our, um, our youth tab. And, um, but it's, it's easy to follow through and it provides all the information, explains USA volleyball, explains great way region. It, um, tells you then it, it has a link for people that are looking. So your problem may be solved right there. And then if not, then it leads you to our office where we can help out then. Awesome. Awesome. Speaking of, you know, office and, you know, a lot of the work behind the scenes that you kind of mentioned here, who are some of those people, uh, you know, on your staff or that you work with very closely that you, know, you may want to re- recognize or shout out that have, that have been helping do, you know, that work to to just, again, just try to achieve his goal. We have. Right. So I've already mentioned Keith in our office who, who does a great job. Um, and then we have Linus Shu, who is more of our events management person. And so he does all of our scheduling, finds all of our facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in our area, we don't have a large facility. Like I think a, a court facility is our biggest facility that we have outside of going into a convention center. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of a daunting task that sometimes we need 35 courts to run an event type thing. Um, so Linus does all of that. He finds the facilities. He makes sure we have enough courts. He then schedules the tournament. Um, he's involved with scheduling the referee, but we have another person, Josh Mattingly, who actually is in charge of scheduling our referees and that type of thing. Um, so 
the, the three of them. And then we were just onboarding a new staff member right now who I'm sure is going to be great. Michelle's going to do a great job, but she's only been with us for about two weeks. One of our employees of about six or seven years just moved and took on another job. So we're, we're in the training phase there, but we think we have another great hire in Michelle. So she'll be doing a great job. And then like I said, Linus and Josh and Keith are, I think we got one of the top staffs that you can have. Kind of a, just a fun light question for you. If there is one rule, one volleyball rule you could change, what would it be? <laughs> um, I'm kind of old school with my volleyball. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm all for loosening up on doubles, but just letting every double go is a real problem for me. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. if we could find a happy medium there, that would be the one rule that I would probably change. It's tough. It's um, tough. Yeah. Just because I think it takes away from the game. If, like, I like to train setters. So if my, if I see a setter that's clean and then I just have a hard time with that. Yeah. I get it. I get why it's done, mm-hmm. you know, but, and I just think if it's really bad, it needs to be called. <laughs> So that would be my, that's my pet peeve. Yeah. Yeah. With, with, you know, of anything, which is a minor thing. I don't, you know, there's not another rule that I, that I can think of that really, you know, like I said, that doesn't bother me. I just would like yeah. the game to go back to being kind of going back cleaner. to your, your coaching days. Yeah. Little pet peeve yeah. There. yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, Steve, uh, is there anything else uh, that you'd like to share, talk um, about before we, we let you go here? You know, I I don't really have anything in particular. I mean, I think, you know, we have, I think another thing that we do, we, we, we actually host a lot of events. We, we grew our boys national qualifier, you know, it was called bid events. Now we're calling them national qualifiers for the boys as well. Um, we grew that to be like the largest, the second largest each year. And so that was something that we've been very proud of it. And we were the first to it was one of the first national bid events. And then, um, we were the first ones to take a boys bid event into a convention center to start oh, to awesome. give them that experience. Congratulations. That's, that's cool. And then, um, and then it just continued to grow from there. That's where we kind of caught up to the bigger hotbeds in, in men's volleyball. You know, like a Chicago tournament is going to have more people because they're Chicago's had boys volleyball forever. Yeah. California's got a lot more boys volleyball than St. Louis does, you know, but because we were able to be in the forefront of putting it into a convention center, making sure we're trying to give the boys the same experience that the girls are getting in that aspect, we had people come to us and then told we run a good event. So that's why they keep coming. And so our numbers kept growing and growing. Um, and then now and we are expecting a little dip on the boys side, you know, this year from that, we are expecting about a 40 to 45% drop in our entries this year. And we're, we, we did a lot of marketing and a lot of pushing and contacting clubs and stuff. And so we think we're only going to be about 20% down okay. because yeah. we've recruited enough other teams. And so we're really happy about that and proud of that, that that again that same group of three people in the office with the staff did a lot of work to make sure that that happened well that sounds awesome congratulations on on everything you've accomplished yeah. thus far and some exciting things in in, in the works and the motion at gateway and um Best of luck in the upcoming, or I guess continuing the girls' club season and then beginning the boys' club season here, uh, 2022, 2023. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. All right.
another great conversation, uh, this one with Steve Meath of the Gateway Region. Um, just a great finale to our our series of episodes with our regional commissioners. Uh, it was just, I don't know if I've ever sat down and talked to this depth with any of our commissioners either and just really understood what they do, what their role is, what they do in their regions, all the work that goes into it. And I hope our, all of our listeners took that same thing out of the, these episodes uh, just to know, you know, the events that they compete in, the parents, the events that the the parents take their kids to, those wouldn't happen without our regional commissioners and everything they do and their staff, uh, what their staff does. So, yeah, great to hear from Steve and, and uh, all the efforts they're doing with growing the game and uh, just the, the similarities and the differences between uh, the three regions that we talked to. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that, I mean, it's really good to see. This is why I really love in-person interviews. Um, you really get to see their personalities, and you know, you know how Jen was talking about. She was nervous. Yes, I'm calling you out, Jen. If you're listening to this episode in the near future, hi, PK. How are you doing? But um, like you know, just just a comfortable conversation, and and. Just, yes, when we see them at our annual meetings and such, we always talk business and we're always in these big zonal and, you know, right. board style meetings. And you, you don't really get to pull people aside and just really just talk, you know, about mm-hmm. your region, about, you know, their background, about how they got their start, about their goals, about, you know, how they continue to want to, you know, not only influence their region, but grow their volleyball community in their region and, you know, work with, you know, us in the national offices, um, you know, in, in parallel to a lot of the stuff too. So I love these. I've loved every single conversation that we've had, uh, you know, with all of our commissioners and if you're a regional commissioner, you want to interview with us, you know, reach out. <laughs> There's plenty of space, you know, you, you know, you didn't, there was no deadline. I know it's regional commissioner month, but <laughs> we'd be happy to have any, any one of you on the, uh, the podcast, any, any time of day. Yeah, so we've got three down. What's that? 37 left. Let's do it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, just echoing what you said. Great to talk to them and, and get to know them personally, too. They were all three, Steve, Jen, Cody. They were kind of quiet as they approached uh, our our podcast stations and then didn't take long mm-hmm. for us to just get going and, and get into it and and have a really good conversation and and a comfortable, uh, really engaging conversation as well. So thank you again to Steve of the Gateway Region for sitting down and talking with us at ABCA. Uh, It was a very busy event for everybody, but we really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us. Looked like you were about to say something. Clarence. Oh me? Oh no, absolutely. Oh, no, no, good. absolutely okay. not. Sorry. I was good. I was good. I was about to throw it over to uh, back to you for upcoming events. So uh now on to upcoming events. Uh let's see what's up the grapevine with Steve There it is. There it is. All right. On to upcoming events. The 2023 Women's National Team Open Program is going on February 24th through the 26th in Colorado Springs, Colorado at the United States. Olympic and Paralympic Training Center. Uh, we will be there on the ground, so be sure to check out USA Volleyball social media at USA Volleyball, uh, as well as Baller TV uh, will be streaming the event. Moving on, the 2023 Music City Volleyball Championship Girls and Girls 18s National Qualifier in New Orleans, February 24th through the 26th. The Southeast Girls 18s National Qualifier in Atlanta, February 24th through the 26th. The USA Volleyball Beach Tour Lone Star Number One Austin Juniors National Qualifier, February 25th through the 26th in Cedar Park, Texas. 
the Sunshine Classic Girls National Qualifier in Orlando, Florida, February 25th through the 27th and weekend two, March 3rd through the 5th. Clarence, you'll be there for weekend one, correct? Weekend one. Weekend one, and I'll be there for weekend two. Let's go. I'll be hiding under the championship. (laughs) Don't ask me about anything. I am not here. I'm just kidding. I'll be there. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be my first time at that qualifier, so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. You've never done Sunshine? Never done Sunshine. Wow. No, I'm looking forward to it. Orlando's a treat. You're going weekend one, so you'll have to let me know, you know, what to you get, do in weekend two, where to where to look, where to you get, find you get the food and stuff. Well, you get the busy weekend too, so I'll send you a list for sure. Oh, don't tell me that. No, oh yeah, kidding. it's a busy weekend. <laughs> They're both busy weekends, but your your weekend has more teams. So gotcha, gotcha. I'm, I'm looking treat. forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Moving mm-hmm. on, the Mad Sand Juniors, February 26th in Plano, Texas. The SSOVA's February Coquina Beach Tournament in February. Oh, on February 26th in Bradenton, Florida, the Sierra Girls 18s National Qualifier, March 3rd through the 5th in Reno, Nevada, Northeast Girls National Qualifier Weekend 1 or Week 1, March 3rd through the 5th in Philadelphia, the Boston Volleyball Festival Girls 18s National Qualifier in Boston, which... Uh, unique to that event, the U.S. women's sitting national team will actually be there as well on the ground doing some exhibition matches against Canada. So be on the lookout if you're on if you're heading to that tournament, be on the lookout for the U.S. women's sitting national team, the two time defending gold medalists, Paralympic gold medalists. Uh, the moving on again. <laughs> There's a lot of events this. We're in that we're in that time of the season, man. <laughs> that's right. That's right. The SCVA Red Rock Rave Girls National Qualifier Week Two, March fourth through the sixth, and at Mandalay Bay Convention Center in Las Vegas. Good luck to everyone competing in those events. Shout out to all the USAB regions for setting up and hosting those events. More details can be found at. USAvolleyball.org. You know, give yourself a, a week off after all those events you listed because that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go walk away. You got this, right? All right. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> go ahead. All right. See you later, Stephen. And on to a few more indoor club events uh, on the obviously indoor junior side of things. Um, registration is still open for those looking for a national qualifier to compete in in Salt Lake City. In Salt Lake City. <laughs> in Salt Lake City. For Salt Lake City Showdown, uh, April 8th through 10th and April 14th through 16th. There's still no waitlist as of today, but divisions are filling in quicker than expected. So looking to compete, get your team registered in AES to become accepted. Um, registration is also open for our adult national championship. We will have 30 divisions this year looking to bring back some some sitting, some sitting team exhibitions from our, uh, you know, women's and men's national teams there. Opens in Dallas is going to be really good, a really, 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 really fun time. Uh, we're warning you guys now. So register your teams and get ready to compete uh, while you still can. Dates for that is May 26th through the 31st. Good luck to all teams competing uh, across the board and traveling to national and regional regional qualifiers. And uh, more information there on dates, divisions, and deadlines can be found at usavolleyball.org. 
Remember, listeners, you can rate and review, share with friends, family, teammates. It really helps this podcast grow and reach new listeners. We really appreciate it. Check out our video episodes now on YouTube, as well as our website, usavolleyball.org. Thank you so much for your support. Do you know a club or maybe an athlete, a parent, family who should be featured? Uh, we, we'd be happy to share their story here on the podcast. Let us know. You can reach out to us uh, by email, the USAB show at usab.org. Leave us feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Any future topics you'd like to hear about. We want to hear from you. Reminder, we drop new episodes every Wednesday. The next episode, taking a little bit of a break a week off. Next episode will be March 8th. Until next time, you're listening to the USA Volleyball Show, the official podcast of USA Volleyball. This has been the USA Volleyball Show with Clarence Hughes and Stephen Munson. Produced by Curtis Ward. Our content producer is Lara Fawcett. Our marketing lead is Bree Jaycox. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate and review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the USA Volleyball Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.